The following is intended for mature audiences only. Discretion is advised. Thank you so much for downloading this episode of So What Do You Really Do? The podcast where I, your host, Dead Air Dennis Maller, talks to artists and entertainers about their day jobs and the artist and the entertainer who is on with an Anderson Jobs. Today's podcast is comedian, podcaster, and radio personality, Justin Schlegel. Justin is a Baltimore comic. Well, I guess former comic now, uh, despite my efforts in the interview to try and convince him to go back to doing stand-up. He's happy with what he's doing now. Is also the morning show host on JSS, Justin, Scott, and Spiegel, the morning rock radio show on 98 Rock, Heritage Radio Station 98 Rock. I grew up listening to it. Kirk, Mark, and Lopez. You know, I also remember listening to, obviously, Mick and Amelia, and then now he, they've been replaced. They've went away, and then Justin, Scott, and Spiegel shows taken over. Justin and I actually run in the same circle of people because I started my comedy career in Baltimore. I used to work at the Baltimore Comedy Factory. We used to hang out, do shows, and be around each other in different genres of it. And again, also working in radio. I worked for the competitor in town. They're the Heritage Station. I knew everybody at 98 Rock because I would go to their events. We would be at each other. We would be at the same concerts, working out and stuff, You know, doing our remote broadcasts and our appearances and stuff. So I have a long tangented history with 98 Rock and the personnel there. Uh, and it was really good to have Justin on here because he is somebody who is an amazing talent. He's the person that I look up to, you know, but he's also same age as me, come from a similar background, but he's also at a place where in his life where he's making different decisions in his life that I'm not ready to make or that I'm not willing to make yet. You know, he's having a, tough time with stand-up comedy in his world, whereas I am having a tough, a tough time with stand-up comedy, just not willing to walk away from it yet. Uh, Justin's perfectly happy with not being a stand-up comedian anymore, with his work on air at 98 Rock, with his new podcast as part of the DLP agenda with former guest of the podcast, Rob Mayer, and also other comedian friend of mine, Joe Robinson. They're three together doing a whole new show. He's doing other podcasts and other episodes and stuff on that DLP Agenda Patreon, uh, which, by the way, you can find on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Just look up DLP Agenda, Die Laughing Productions. Die Laughing Productions uh, is a murder mystery company in Baltimore. And it's, again, so many crossover circles here. Like, I was saying this to Joe when they started this whole murder mystery thing. He went and saw the murder mystery company show. It was like, oh, this is lame and terrible. We're going to make a better one. I worked for the murder mystery company here in Boston, <laughs> and I had the same thoughts of, this is terrible. These jokes are awful. This makes an ton of money. I, however, did not go out and make my own murder mysteries. I just bit my, you know, grit, grit my teeth and bared through the terrible writing and jokes. They created something more. Uh, right now they're doing, uh, you know, Rob just created, uh, in conjunction with Justin and Spiegel, who's the newsman on the 98 Rock show, the... Um, Seinfeld Trivia, where it was a live event of people competing against Josh Spiegel in Seinfeld Trivia. I also have created my own comedy trivia show that I'm trying to get back up off the ground again. And we did one performance, we did one show a couple years ago, trying to get it back up and doing it again because um, it was fun. Different, uh, different genre, a different style of, of comedy trivia. It's more a stand-up comedy show pub trivia elements so we run in very similar circles 
Uh, so it was nice having him on here, getting the full history, because we don't, since I moved to Boston, we don't see each other, you know, and 10, 12 years, 15 years ago when we were our palling around doing things, there was no conversation of, oh, where did you start? How did you start? What happened here? What happened there? Uh, so it is a lot different uh, being able to have an interview with a friend and be like, oh, you did start at CBS. They didn't know that. You know, we had a lot of him and I, Justin and I had a lot of similarities, which, by the way, uh, also in no way relation to anything I said, but we're going to talk about the voice. If this is your first time listening, uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, this is what I sound like now. This is not what I used to sound like. <laughs> I uh, work for a, uh, for a tour company in Boston and I give five 80 minute tours a day with a microphone and headset. And it's just taking a toll on my voice and it's, Sounding more and more fat, like when I used to smoke cigarettes. And I don't smoke cigarettes anymore. I haven't had a cigarette uh, in see, April 10th was 2016 to 2023. What's that? Six years? Six years, May, June, July, three, today. Six years, three months without a cigarette. Wow. Crazy. Six years and three months since also I had my second heart attack and my first stroke. You can listen to older episodes if you would like to find out what all those medical uh, anomalies are about. But I'm fine. And luckily, so is my friend Justin. You'll hear him say something at the end of the podcast because we did record this on the 4th of July because that is the only time when <laughs> two adult males who work radio morning show hours or at least wake up morning show hours can actually record something without having the family. 9 a.m. on a holiday, we recorded a podcast because that was the only time we were available. And it's a great conversation. It's lovely to hear how Justin's doing, how he's uh, happening, where he started, and where he's at now. So if you do not know who Justin Schlegel is, look him up. He's an amazing comedic talent. He's a wonderful morning show host, and he's a good friend to have around. So please enjoy my conversation with radio personality and comedian and podcaster, Justin Schlegel. Hi, welcome, Justin Slagle. What's up, buddy? Hey, what's going on, Dennis? <laughs> Man, how was Beach Bass, by the way? I got to listen to some of it in the morning online, um, but I didn't get to hear all of it, so how was it? It was okay. It was um, a little more low-key. We moved to a new hotel. The old one is being demolished and refurbished, and the new one's actually the old player hotel. So while nicer, it's also a little bit more expensive, which in the middle of a uh, you know a burgeoning recession might price a couple people out, but those that went had a great time. That's good. Like that is a staple of 98 rock is the beach bash, which is, I don't know about any other radio stations. Like they all have their like chili yeah. cook-offs and concert series and jingle balls. And for 98 rock, it's like, let's get the Ravens to get like, even before they had the Ravens, but now it's like Ravens players, cheerleaders. Let's go to the beach and spend a week at the beach. It's interesting. The thing actually evolved from what it used to be. Um, the Ravens sort of officially acknowledged Beach Bash as a Ravens property. Like, I'm going to make up a number here, but I'm roundabouts like 10 years ago. The Ravens Roosts have always done it. They're the fan bases that have like Ravens Roost, local 284. It's like a union hall. Ravens Roost, 986 out of Berlin, Germany, whatever. And they did it unofficially forever. And finally, the Ravens are like, this thing is really turning into a party. Let's go and join you guys. Because before that, it was a thing called Spring Fling, which as much as I love Beach Bash, and I do, I look forward to it. Spring Fling 
was where they would shoot their annual cheerleader calendar in the islands. And they would send us to like the Bahamas to watch just a battleship of the world's hottest women parade around in white sands as foamy ocean lapped against their perfectly shaped calves. And then <laughs> it's Ocean City now, which I love because shout out to the dough roller and who doesn't like playing around with old pro, but it is, it's different. It's different. No better, no worse, but it's different. And, uh, and it's also, it's a little easier too, because you know, in the islands, you're kind of stuck there and you get some weirdo that wants to take you offsite and Hey, let's go take a look at a local plantain farm. And I don't want to do that in ocean city. I can just <laughs> go hang out on the boardwalk and get housed on Mars. And the drives quicker or it drives quicker and easier, much easier, much if there's an emergency. I can just leave. Or if I forgot something, I could just turn back around. If I leave something in Punta Cana, it stays there forever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I realized it used to be like a, like a Cancun, Mexico thing. And mm-hmm. then I realized that they started doing it at ocean city. And I never really thought about the difference. I was just like, ah, whatever. It's closer and probably cheaper for the station. It's the sta- it's cheaper for the Ravens, the station, also the women, the cheerleaders and the playmakers. Um, they're tens in Jamaica. They're also tens in Moncton, Maryland. Like it doesn't <laughs> matter. There's not a guy buying that calendar being like, uh, you know, she was a piece of ass in the Bahamas, but now I'm seeing cattails growing out of the Chesapeake Bay. Eight. Like no, they, don't. they could have those ladies, those gorgeous women standing in front of a scrap metal heap, and there's still gonna be some guy sweating through his Marlboro Miles purchase tank top. So doesn't matter where they're at. Why are we flying them and these morning show idiots to Mexico and you know Playa del Carmen when we could just drive them to Salisbury and get the same results? So it was very smart on both the Ravens and the station's behalf. Selfishly, I miss the islands, but I do have a sweet spot for OC. <laughs> well, it's also like, you know, I started, you know, in radio mostly as a remote broadcast engineer. So remote broadcasts, like going outside mm-hmm. of the building, that's how I made my money for all the years in radio, you know, in between stints of being on air and producing morning shows here and there. But that's what I love to do. And it, when I was getting out of ra- well, getting out of when radio decided they didn't want me anymore, okay, <laughs> I noticed a trend of less and less remotes. And then, of course, the pandemic hit, which obviously, you know, can't go out. And be around people and talk into microphones. And now Mm -hmm. I see that you guys with the 10 year anniversary with, you know, doing back the beach bashes, what the second year since we stopped doing it because of the pandemic and others that you guys are at least with your new manager. It looks like you guys are kind of bringing that back in the industry as a whole. When you talk to other stations and other friends across the country, does it seem like remote broadcasts are coming back? Because it seemed to be, even though the technology was making it easier, we were getting rid of more and more of them. Yeah, and, and 98 Rock is pretty forward-facing, and you know this better than anybody is like an engineer, producer, um, that the technology has become much, much easier. I mean, what used to be going down there and testing ISDN lines and, and having to bring you know a van's worth of equipment can also almost now, I should say, be done with a Jansport backpack full of yeah. stuff. You get a small little Comrex unit. If you have high-speed internet, who doesn't? Uh, you should be fine. And we have these processors locally that can make it sound 99% like we're back in the studio. And the reason that 98 Rock and WBAL do as many as they do is their focus on 
like hyper locality, which will always be radio's backbone. You know, God bless the streaming services and all that. And they're international. But if you want local, 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 you need AM FM radio and or some really well done local podcasts. And if ratings are up and down, uh, I had an old friend that used to work there, Steve Huber, who used to say, no matter what the ratings are, we'll win in the streets. And by that, he means, you know, a manager at a business or an owner of a business that we're trying to get to advertise might look and go, oh, you guys are first and now you're third or this one station, second place. You guys were fourth or you're first, whatever. But if you do a remote broadcast from their place or someone else's that they could see and they see hundreds of people walking up to it or walking to the front door or gathering a crowd. That's people in a building. They have a building that they want to have people in. It's a business. So you can show them, hey, whatever that paper says doesn't matter. The the ratings system, as you well know, is beyond flawed. Uh, We bring people through a front door. And that's what a remote does. We just got done doing one at the stables in Westminster. It's a great restaurant uh, north of Baltimore that we haven't been to in forever. And we're able to take photos from that now and be like, hey, look, we put 200 people in a room at 6 a.m. for their business and they bought food and they bought drinks and they hung around after the show. Would you like us to do the same for you if we show that to a new business? And that's what a remote is. That's what's special about remote broadcasting and live events is that you could take proof of concept to someone else. And be like, hey, do you want to advertise with us? Do you want us to do this in here with you? So there's still a lot of value in them. You're shooting yourself in the foot if you're a radio station that's not. Oh yeah, no, and it's I'm. This is what I always loved about Hearst and the the 98 Rock PL station is they let the people run the place locally. iHeart, who's the company I worked for 15 years, is doing everything they can to be whitewashed across the country and be. They're trying to be the TGI Fridays of radio. No matter yeah. what city you go in, the station sounds exactly like your station back at your home they're not doing local they're not hitting the local stuff that was driving me nuts for all those years i was like this is all we have is that we are here you know i i was your direct competitor at at channel 104.3 you know i was the only for short period of time i was the only voice on an alternative rock station in baltimore we were pumping in people from across the country meanwhile i'm sitting right there you know, and they weren't doing it. And then what we do, we bring up Elliot in the morning from D.C. up to Baltimore. And yeah. I've worked with Elliot and I think Elliot is an amazing talent. Legend. He is like if that guy could just conform to the corporate structure, he would be so much bigger than he is. But he's so anti that he just doesn't want to follow along uh, to the the process. And it's interesting it you say that because I, I, I've i never had a chance to meet the man. And I, I grew up listening to the various 99 ones and 98 rocks and DC 101. And I he's such a fascinating guy and he's beyond talented that I, I almost wonder if he the two roads to go to see go the way that he has been, like you said, kind of pushing back against that corporate influence and hey you should do this and maybe you know quote unquote be larger like shoot you across the country but if they do that do they change his brand is the way he's conducting himself actually keeping him with the longevity that he has i don't know it's a question i I wonder if he the way that like you say he pushes back against management being like if you do this you can be over here if you do this we'll broadcast you here but would that change elliot would that well, his big problem really is that he doesn't want to conform to a clock. That's the big problem. You can't syndicate uh, something if he's okay. not on a clock. Unless you're Don Imus. 
other than that. Yeah, yeah. yeah if you're syndicated, you do have a pretty rigid clock that, you know, you've got to be out at the 57s and the 27s and, you know, break for local station identification. Yeah, I, I could see that being a, a bit of a stick. That's a problem we have. That and it's it's a problem we continue to work on is us sometimes the the train gets rolling down the tracks and we're having too good a time and I'm looking at the clock and it's like Christ we should have broken three minutes ago and traffic's getting bumped back and what should have been a sponsor read in the eight o'clock hours now bumped into the nine o'clock hour and that's technically a different ad rate so yeah adhering to the clock is. It's something that 15 years into radio, 20, but you know, 15 full time, uh, I still work on. So I'll, I'll never fault the man. Yeah. And it, there's times where uh, he's he's also just wants to start controversy. Like that's really it is on uh, his big problems. Um, but it also works in his in times where he's like uh, also going to like. The caps, like we, you know, we get minute to minute updates on how many people are listening, and every time yeah. he starts talking about the Washington Capitals, ratings go right down the toilet. Every time he talks to an author of a book that he likes, like you know, they go right down the drain. And he's like, "No, I'm not going to change my show for that," which is admirable, and I commend him for that. But if he could just like release a little bit of control to corporate and just pull back a little bit, then he could, you know, also be uh, uh, a great. You know, nationwide talent for a guy who's amazingly like he's one of the best interviewers in the, in the country. And dude, I'm not gonna, you know, just keep kissing your ass, his ass. You're you're also one. Of, all right, let's. I'll before I start. No, I'll give you your flowers. Then we're gonna talk about your your, okay. your history because I'm in awe every time you start just doing like descriptive things, like you just did on here when you're talking about the beach babes and like the, the caps and stuff like that. You're such a great amazing wordsmith in the moments. Like I remember when I came after I moved to Boston, I came back, you guys were doing like a, a car, you know, doing a live remote in Fells Point and you were doing like high card challenge or whatever. Okay. Right. With listeners and just listeners were coming up and the way the wrestling impromptu intros you were giving to people as they were coming up to play a high card draw challenge uh, tournament. Yeah. We're amazing dude like, thank you you are so good at that in the moment where you're just like coming up with the perfect funniest adjectives when describing something like you when you got to those things those things like that i remember that challenge and it's it's such a basic low rent thing that you have to color it in you add a little sizzle to a pretty gross yeah. horse flavored steak <laughs> that you have to be sure to listen if this bit isn't as grandiose as you would hoped it would been back in conception like oh shit we're winning a marconi for this and then it gets there and you're like all right hypothetical live on site what if you could burp at your butt and the minute you say it you're like god this is bad we have to <laughs> add a little uh, allspice to this thing um yeah that's I'm, I'm glad i have that asset thank you for that um but uh yeah we're, we're in the audio so we have to describe to excess sometimes and it gets a little annoying to us to where we might have to over explain what we're seeing what we're doing have to reset a lot once again we're talking to dead air dentist live from a neon fallout shelter you have to be able to describe to people what they're not seeing because only you are and if you don't do that well uh you know 
Plus, like getting back to those like interviews, like you say with with him, Elliot, talking about an author that he likes, or talking about a a Capitals you know game or something like that. You know, it's it's on him as a broadcaster and as a pro. And may I have a career like his one day when it's all said and done, to where you take something that might not be as exciting to a chunk of the listenership and you make it, which is it's something where we talked to a guy about two months ago who talked about EMP explosions, which had people just running for dehydrated food, solar panels, and looking at which neighbor, like, I'll eat you. And we had to make it entertaining by describing various things from this book of his that we read and apocalyptic scenarios and, you know, who'd you eat first in your uh, office, things like that. It's a pretty dark and dour subject that it's on us to somehow color in the details of and make it entertaining for a subject that other people might not find. Yeah. And well, that shows like you can do that because you have a background and talent of being Mm -hmm. entertaining. Mm -hmm. You know, like you had the the guy on the other day who did, uh, uh, the, the, Botox injections into Scott's scrotum. Yes. Yeah. No offense to that guy, but he was just annoyingly cliche. Like I'm listening to him talking. He's like, "Oh, you ask him just a basic question." Goes, "Well, if I had, to, if I told you that, I'd have to kill you." He's like, "Ugh." I think he's just not used to be on a radio. He's nervous. No, yeah, he's he's trying to plug himself in. Yeah, he's not a talent. You know, I listen to. But here's the thing: I hear people that are a talent do the exact same cliches. I worked oh, yeah. alongside those people, and it's like we are the ones. We are the, the the magic makers, right? We should be creating the talent. We should be creating the content, not sharing content. You know, like when we do blog posts and social media stuff, like I heard for the longest time pushed blogs, right? Everyone's got to write a blog. Everyone's got to write a blog. Here was everybody's blog. Two sentences of a description and then a link to read what they read. Meanwhile, I'm writing full out things. I'm recreating the entire thing that I read, putting in the voice of my morning show person, put in in my voice. And I was trying to actually create content and I'm working hard to do that. But it gets the same amount of views as the people write two sentences and then hits hit click here for more information and it's it just becomes so homogenized and so average i think literally is as corny as this sounds but is a bit of a hill i'll die on is that i mean since the you know the creation of radio and i'll even take it back paintings music the phrase content creation is so just basic and it's so overcast it's, it's well, that's not the word to use it's it's casting too broad in it i'm a content creator if i shit in a cup i've created content i have a mug and it's full of poop and that poop is content and there i am i've created content it means nothing the term content creator me, my son is upstairs right now, and he is building an obstacle course for me out of couch cushions, soon to expire vegetables, and probably a steak knife. He's creating content. That means absolutely nothing. And these companies, these larger media conglomerates, and some of these uh, streaming services, they love taking that. Some of these people that just sew their butt cheeks with a hidden link to take you to an OnlyFans page. They're content creators. What What is content? The guy that cooks behind the grill. That's content. The guy that puts up a Facebook post on the July 4th. Was that gunshots? Was it a firework? Heads up, Tim. It's a goddamn firework. It happens every year. That's content. You are a radio broadcaster. Elliot's a radio broadcaster. I'm creating a radio program. My friend Rob and Joe create a podcast. My friend Tommy Sambazo creates stand-up comedy. It's when we start calling it content creation, it means everything and nothing all at once. It's it's such a 
pointless milk toast phrase. And trust me, we have some corporate overlords ourselves that they're trying to keep up with the times. Hearst is about the greatest company you could work for, but no one's flawless. And every now and then they'll get someone in the corporate structure, you know, fresh out of business school that read the term content creation somewhere in a syllabus and latched onto it. And all of you need to be content creators. I'm like, well, what the shit do you think we've been doing for the past 10 years? You're calling it content creation. We call it a radio broadcast, social media, whatever. We've been doing it. You can call it whatever you want to. But when I hear a company that you're describing make you uh, write a blog post or do a tweet or some sort of something, some sort of scheduled uh, a, a bit of business, and it's like we're content creators, be a radio broadcaster, be a television artist, be a musician. But once you start, once you call yourself a content creator, you, you're, you mean nothing to me. I don't know what you do. Okay. Like I said, my son is upstairs right now, scotch taping fingernail clippings to other fingernails <laughs> to make longer fingernails. And that's content. He's, and he's going to, I'm going to take a picture of it and I'm going to send it to his Nana. She's not going to open it because she doesn't know how her flip phone works. And that will technically count as the same content <laughs> as some audacity 19 market morning show. That's putting out a uh, top tier product five to 10 every day. It's all content. And it just, it just, it's, it, it makes my skin crawl when I start hearing content creation. Yeah. I mean, I don't like it either, but it's like, I, I, I try not to shy away from what's, what's positive, especially the people who are just, I'm a content creator. Oh no, you're a pretty person on Instagram taking pictures of yourselves. Yeah. Like not the same thing as what I'm doing or what you're doing, you know, but. But once you add that phrase, hey, I've been on stage one time. I'm a comedian. I just bought a uh, camera. I'm a photographer. I own a football. Am I a fucking raven? Probably not. Okay. I mean, I'm not. I've had sex. No one's going to hire me for you, uh, you porn. No one. It's, it's, when, it's when someone's like, I'm a content creator. You seem like you're kind of skipping the line. You could create content, but do people want the content? Like, I never have a problem with the term influencer. I have a problem with the influenced. You can try it, influence all you want. You're probably not going to make it past this thick Charles County skull of mine. But it's the person that's like, oh, I saw the YouTuber that screams at jump scare video games uh, come up with his own, you know, soothing liniments. I'll go get them now. Like, okay, you know what the end of that is? That's advertising. It's just, it's, we're taking things that have already existed and we're adding new labels to them. I'm an influencer. You're an advertiser. It's, you're just, you're calling it a new thing that's already been here. It really is like I have no problem with the term podcaster because it's literally a new modality to get you the audio. It's it's now digital. It's online. It's not AMFM. It is. So that is a proper evolution of a medium. AMFM exists. Satellite exists. The podcast is the next great evolution of it all. And that deserves to have a new moniker. But when someone's like, I'm an influencer, you're an advertiser. I'm a content creator. I don't know what the fuck you do. <laughs> so. It's it, we love to put new phrases on things. We have a um, we have a mayor around here. God bless you, Brandon Scott. You're fighting the good <laughs> fight. But he had a post recently where I think he had a city council get together to discuss another violent incident. And he called it the Baltimore Crime Ecosystem Prevention Council. It's a meeting. <laughs> It's a goddamn meeting, but someone adds a little extra stink to the name. Like, Ooh, we're doing something. Look at this. 
Like, I'm a content creator. Now, you show a barely covered picture of your butthole on Instagram, and if you <laughs> click the link tree, let me guess, there's one of the top flashing 18 plus because you're trying to get a couple of bucks your way because you lost your job at the sulfur factory when everything shut down in the pandemic. It's just, you're a porn star. I mean, you're, 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 you're an adult entertainer. I'm a content creator. I can see your cervix. And that's great. That's fine. I don't want you to not do it. I want you to make your money. And I want you to have your income. If it is you just squirting, you know, Dijon mustard all over your back end while, you know, singing Smash Mouth lyrics in Italian, I, I, I hope you make money. But let's not let's not belie the fact that what you're doing has always been done. You're trying to add something new to the moniker. That's a little eye rolling. <laughs> all right. Well, you're about my age. I'm 42. You're what, 44, right? 44. Yep. So we've been both creating content, working in entertainment, being entertainers yeah. for over 20 years. So we have a wealth of seeing uh, a wealth of knowledge of seeing what the progression of this industry has been. Let's go back to the beginning and talk about when you started, because you originally started as a stand up comedian. I started as a little kid as an actor, always wanted to be a stand up, was love stand up. Didn't start doing stand up until I was 30. 31, something like that. Like, and I regret that I didn't start earlier because look at our friends who are our age, who've been, oh, yeah. what they've been doing and what they've been accomplishing. And if we had those years in that business as well. So when did you start doing stand-up comedy and what got you from being a, a little skateboarding kid in uh, Southern Maryland and in, uh, in Waldorf to being a stand-up comedian? Well, I'll, and I'll even I'll adjust the timeline for you just a little bit, because it is one that sometimes people get uh, mistaken is that I left Waldorf in 2000, 1999, 2000 to get into radio. I was in radio for five years before I ever got into stand up. And I, I worked at what is now. I don't know what their goddamn company is. It's gone through so many changes. Mm -hmm. It was Infinity, which became CBS, which became Entercom, which became Audacity, which next week it'll be Pepperidge Farm Radio. We're talking sausage all morning long on WEGG The Egg. And I did that for five years, roundabout in Towson. I worked for, originally I actually worked in Lanc not Lancaster, Hanover, PA, at a place called, um, oh God, what was it? Geez, actually, I worked at WCBM 680. Then I worked at uh, WYCR, WHVR, York's Hottest Music. Then at the Roundabout in Towson through like five format flips. B102.7, 105.7. They tried to take on 98 Rock for like six months and shit the bed. Then it was X1057 Jams. And then it became Free FM when Satellite came out. And they labeled all of their FM stations free like we thought you were going to start charging for it. <laughs> and then it became the fan and the fans stuck. And after the fifth format flip, I uh, mildly lost it because every time I would stay and these two other guys would stay, one of them's name was Henry and the other guy's name escapes me, but we were minimum wage board ops and we would take three, eight hour shifts and we would, I would do the overnights. I do eight, Henry would do eight. The third guy would do eight and there's your 24. And we would always do that to welcome the new staff, to welcome the new management, to welcome the new imaging. And every time they would blow everyone out, all these relationships you'd make and all these, you know, efforts you'd make to work your way up. Maybe I could be a producer. Maybe you could put me on as a sidekick. Maybe something progress beyond a board up. And once a year, your legs would be taken out from under you and you'd be bumped back down to the bottom of the ladder. But they kept you on. 
because you could run the board and you'd run whatever automated program while they figured out who's our new lineup of guests. And after the, like I said, the fifth one, I think it was when they finally did sports when they got rid of like David Lee Roth in the morning. And it was when Stern went to uh, satellite. And they got rid of everybody. And like some people got the junkies. God bless those guys. Then David Lee Roth came and went. Penn Gillette. Uh, I can't remember. And I went that night that over the fifth flip, I went to a place called Frazier's on the Avenue in Hamden and a pretty nice dive bar. I say dive bar like it's a, a, a bad thing. It's a nice dive bar. And they were doing a karaoke night. And me and my friend Gordon got a little scotch and soda drunk and i went up to sing i think was the divinals and i made it through maybe half a chorus and just started cussing about my company just <laughs> like just came unglued i mean i had a michael douglas i'm trying to get home to see my daughter i have a bazooka falling down moment where i just just verbal diarrhea where a bunch of onlookers are like i just want to get up there and sing crash test dummies what the fuck's the matter with this guy um the host of the thing kind of snatched me up and pulled me aside i was like don't don't do that here this is respect the sport of kings this is caddy okay <laughs> and he's like you want to do that comedy crap you do it here on sundays with jim meyer you don't do it not not, not on not on you know platinum dan's sing-along fart fest so <laughs> I ended up coming back on Sunday and doing it again on a open mic night, not doing well, but having fun. And I think I might've had one or two quips and a little three minute rant that were like, Oh, there might be some humor there. And I got to see other local comics, actual good polished comics. I got to see Jim Meyer. I got to see big Ben Kennedy. I got to see a guy named Frank Hong. Um, I can't, the other names escape me. I think I saw a very, you know, young Mike G, Howard G, and I saw people that were in the game. They were they had acts, they had crafted acts, and I was a no one. And I was like, wow, this is interesting. So I just came to Frazier's once a week, and once a week turned into twice a week when somebody told me that there's another room across town, a place called Jillian's, which is now the Dave and Buster's in Hanover, Maryland. And I met somebody there that said, hey, there's a Wednesday night room. And I learned about the open mic circuit. And then one night turned into four nights. And then one year turned into a paid gig. And then it just spiraled from there. It was 2004. June 10th, 2004 was the first time I, I ever went up. And then, yeah, just it spiraled from that into stand up. See, now, I always knew you worked in radio for the longest time. Like, you were working in radio right when I was getting my start in radio. You know, knowing that backtrack, I didn't realize you worked for CBS up there in Towson. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah Bill Pasha. That was my, my general manager, PD, Bill Pasha. Yeah, and I, I, dude, I can empathize with that. You started at one low-level job, hoping to get on your way up, move up. One of the... I have a website deadairdentist.com on that website is a wall of backhanded compliments yeah and one of the compliments was from one of the former program directors of dc 101 i gave him a tape when i was an engineer of an air track you know the uh, audition tape he pulls me aside he brings me downstairs and in, into the garage where we're smoking to to go over the tape first thing out of his mouth was like i was really impressed it shows you know what you're doing I'm like, yeah, no shit, Rick. Like, why would I not know what I do be doing if I wanted to be on iron on air position? He goes, well, no, no, most people are either an engineer or a talent. Nobody does both. 
Yeah. I know you as an engineer. I didn't realize you were this good on the air, right? I want to get you on the air. We'll try and work it out. But because my relationship with Elliot was not good, that ultimately at the end of the, the day is what kept me from getting on an air position because Ricky told me after he left, is like, I didn't, you saw what they did to the other guys who were working part-time, getting them in trouble stuff because they didn't like them. And I know they didn't like you. And Elliot and I are fine now. We're amicable. But working as his censor, there's going to be animosity. He's like, I didn't want to put you in that position where they targeted you and got you in trouble. And ultimately, I would have to end up firing you because of this, that, or whatever. Yeah. But you got to think, though, to that guy's credit, though, he's like, oh, my God, I didn't realize you were this good. He probably has to sift through a stack of insanity every day. Like, if you take a look at some of his audition tapes or gave them a listen, I bet it would sound like sitting there and listening sight unseen to an open mic that you and I have been to countless of where you go, <laughs> okay, there's the local pro. There's the young hopeful. There's the guy. There's the has been that never was. There's the next future great. And now here's 500 psychopaths. <laughs> Here is it, it is an absolute bastion of lunatics. And I bet that that same program director probably got countless CDs, cassettes, whoever that he's like, all right, let's see who, you know, DJ Danny Dingus from Lunch Meat North Dakota is. Put it in. And it was just 30 minutes of insane conspiracy ramblings about how, like, oh, 9-11, you think New York even exists? That's not a real place. It's CGI. It's South Boston. <laughs> it's He's got to listen to craziness. So if he heard you, Dennis, and he goes, Jesus, this is a breath of fresh air in a world of shit. This is, wow. That's probably what exa you know, ex exacerbated, no, exasperated him. Like, wow, this is, <laughs> I've listened to a lot of crap today. And I'm hearing something that's not. So he was probably like, huh, thank you. I never expected this. I just heard a lady in the background in the middle of her, you know, recording her popcorn be done, which is actually the thing <laughs> that one of my bosses once played me. Dave Hill, God bless you wherever you are. He played me a tape of a guy who auditioned for something and he was back selling a song like, hey, what's going on? It's Fart and Frankie on WTRD, the turd. We're stinking up your more. Just go ahead and take that out of the microwave. You can just put it on a bowl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just turn it up. Okay. Coming up, we're giving away two tickets to watch my mom get a pap smear. It's WDRD. The and, and, and he mailed that to how many program directors across the country that in the middle of his audition tape or whatever it was, it was, you know, it's Orville Redenbacher was ready to go. It's it's crazy. So I could see where your old PD was like, damn, thank you, Dennis. <laughs> see, and that's the thing that I was talking about. That's the thing I love. <laughs> Ultimately, not a stutter, not a single moment that you stop. Like, we know what you just said is in no way, shape or form a part that you have talked about a thousand times. But you just brought you brought in an entire original, hilarious <laughs> you know, radio break without even stumbling dude that why you're such a great talent at that and i thank I, you dennis yes and, and dude i i i've always thought you were one of the best that i've ever known uh in stand -up. thank you man i worked around some of the best i'll tell you that i kept good company yeah. I, I looked better by proxy i was the five that hung out with the 10 there was a uh a big breasted juicy butt-cheeked rory scoville standing <laughs> next to this hair-lipped little goblin named justin schlegel that if you stumbled upon me in the woods i'd make you answer a riddle to pass or something rory on the other hand was just that sweet cinnamon sugar covered slice that everyone wanted to bang so i would i would be near really good comics a lot 
that I think by proxy made me look better. You're a Parnas of the world and you're Jermaine Fowler's of the world. And obviously Rory's still a good friend at, uh, yeah, you could judge a man by the company he keeps. And I think I kept some pretty good company. Yeah. And you rose to them. All right. If, if what's, what's the phrase, uh, rising tides, raise all ships. Yeah. Yeah. The waters around you were high and you were swimming. You were right along with them. The Tried entire to time. get my yeah. nose above no water. More you, often. Didn't. you didn't, you're not trying. You're doing dude. I know the self-deprecating humor. Uh, is is a part of all of us, and it's hard to take a compliment, but take it, dude. Like you are amazing you, talent. Like I, I told you, and I, we'll we'll get into the whole LA thing, but I'll I'll just say that two stories real quick. One, when you got back from LA, I talked about how disappointed I was that you came back home, but because I feel like when you left LA, it was like giving up on comedy, right? And that's my opinion, and I know that yeah. wasn't what you did. What you did is you came home to work at the station that you love, that yeah. you grew up on. So it was, in your mind, the better move. But also, uh, my Rory story real quick is uh, the movie um, with uh, Amy Schumer. Uh, oh, uh, damn. What was pretty, it? Uh, I Feel Pretty. I Feel Pretty, yes. I mean, that movie, I forget the name of it. So <laughs> there's a scene where in the bar where Amy and, and Rory have the argument. She thinks he doesn't like her and she leaves. <clears throat> I'm literally standing behind Rory the entire time, that entire scene. Yeah. Right? And I'm hanging out with Rory all day on set. We do the thing. That night, him and I both do a show together. He's coming up the stairs. I look down at him at the comedy studio. I was like, hey, what's up? He goes, hey, wait, weren't you? Didn't we? Hey, what's up? And we you know, shook hands. We were like, yeah, we've been hanging out all day, but I wasn't allowed to talk to you then. And he's like, I know, weird. And he laments this story to me that I'm probably not allowed to tell, but I'm going to tell it, is that the reason he got that role is because the actor who was supposed to have that role, uh, because of Trump, they put in some passport uh stopping i think from syria or something and he's apparently has a syrian passport this actor is english and syrian and they wouldn't let him in the country so they last minute called roy to come to really no i didn't know that and he tells me that i'm like is that public knowledge he goes it's absolutely not in fact i don't think i was supposed to tell you that and i'm pretty sure i wasn't supposed to tell that now too so well luckily it came out in christ 2018 (laughs) so by the way wasn't that movie i feel pretty uh, hold on. I just want to make sure I have this right. I feel pretty movie. Uh, it's the one where she bangs her head do? and then she now thinks she's pretty. But uh, wasn't there a shooting? Wasn't there an odd like? Wasn't there like somebody got like shot in a movie theater or something? It had nothing to do with the movie. I might be making this up. <laughs> uh, uh, movie theater, movie theater shooting. I gotta. Uh, yeah, maybe I'm thinking of something else. There was something. There was like there was an Amy Schumer movie that again it had nothing to do Train with her or anything. That there was like a shooting. Oh, why can't I think of? Why is my brain latched onto this goddamn thing right now? Uh, train wreck. Yeah, train wreck. train wreck. Was there a shooting during the? That's what it was. 2015, the movie Train Wreck. Yes, John Hauser opened fire during a showing of the film Train Wreck. With uh, Amy Schumer and John Cena, I believe, was in that as well, as well as Bill Hader. And I remember right around the time that the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie came out, everyone thought, there's going to be a bloodbath in this bitch as he inspires all of these incels to take up arms and spray and pray (laughs) over the girl that wanted nothing to do with him in middle school. And everyone was like, "Uh, heads up, the last theater shooting was an Amy Schumer rom-com featuring the former WWE champion and the face that runs the place, John Cena. You can't see me because I hit the fucking deck during a a shooting. So... 
I, I just remember I remember that Joker film coming out and everybody freaking out about it. And yeah, okay, well, good. I'm glad it's not the Rory film then. I feel pretty. <laughs> I'm glad it's not that one because he doesn't deserve to have a theater shooting associated with his talented name. Did you see Babylon with him in it by any chance? I have not yet. No. Wild movie in a wild role. And he plays a character, I think it's called The Count, where he's like the world's sweetest, most eccentric pillhead that he provides all of the stars of Hollywood in the 30s and 40s, just quaaludes and stuff. (laughs) And he has a scene in that movie that I would have given anything to have been an extra in the background as he descends into the bowels, the soft white funky underbelly of Los Angeles to see an underground Illuminati like party where just the most wanton, wretched Epstein Island. I'm going to fuck that armadillo type of activities (laughs) are taking place. And it's going like down like the hell levels of hell into Dante's Inferno. But it's Rory the entire time guiding this other character through this nightmare to get to this one character at the end of it played by, I think, a Tobey Maguire and a bodybuilder who does something horrible to a rat. <laughs> and just knowing that's like, it's my friend Rory in there <laughs> having to see this obviously stage scene. But I mean, it's, it's like something out of a set, the movie seven, how horrifying it is. You couldn't take a sweeter, kinder, funnier, bubblier, more talented soul than a Rory and then put him into basically a spinoff from the movie Hostel than this scene. It's the movie Babylon, little long, but worth watching just for Rory. Well, this is my only day off in three weeks. So when I'm done with this and you, I guess I'm watching Babylon. I'm pretty sure it's that's long. an HBO one, right? It's an HBO it is. movie. Yeah. You can watch it on Max. So, yeah. But to get to your the other thing about L.A. Yeah, because I want to know what was the inspiration to get to Unrig? Because you already started working. Well, let me ask you this. Are we allowed to talk about your mentor in comedy and radio, Mickey? Bill Riley? Uh, no, Bill Riley. Bill Riley. Okay. Bill Riley was my my student. I I worked underneath and with Mickey. I, uh, Kirk McEwen was actually the first guy to ever get me on ninety eight rock. And then Mickey and I became friends. And then that was off to the races there. But the first guy to ever get me on was Kirk. But then Mickey and I started palling around because we did stand up shows together and all that. And he was killing it in the afternoons, and he was even more so in the mornings when they took on Dynamite in afternoons, and I think took on. Some I can't remember the other show that they took on in mornings, but him and Amelia and Speegs crushed it. So, but the, my true radio, you talk about mentor, my, my, the guy I sat in the learning tree, Bill Riley. Bill Riley from Sheffield, from BIM, from various pop stations around the area. That was the guy that I literally learned radio from. And he was like the head professor at the Sheffield Institute for the Recording Arts for quite a while. So that was the guy. Well, I'm I'm more curious about your relationship with Mickey. Are we allowed to talk about that? How is that? You get into it because you guys seem like you were the best of buds. You were doing stand up shows together. Yeah. You both worked at 98 Rock. You have similar tra- trajectories in your careers, right? You have similar styles, you know, in the way that you guys talk. You're both very high energy, yeah. You know, whereas some comedians are very low energy. Like from the outside, for me, it looked like that you were following, you know, his. Oh, the trajectory, trajectory was almost identical. Yeah. Right. How did Except you- I think he started in radio, I started in stand up and got into radio yeah. and I was radio stand up radio. Yeah. But it, so as becoming like you guys were literally the two top comedians in Baltimore, 
between Night Day Rock and just the sheer talent the two of you guys mm-hmm. have. Where did that relationship between between you guys start? Like when you and Mickey started really just working shows together, what was the, you know wh- how did that start forming together? And what was your impression of Mickey? Did you like? Oh how no, you he Mickey was the as- biggest act in the area. I yeah. mean, he's one of the greatest comedians this area has ever put out. And I would just I would see him. I mean, if you'd go to a club, he'd probably be headlining it. Sometimes he'd do drop ins and you know do a guest set for ten minutes and and crush the room and bounce. And I uh, like I said, I, I did I did something at the old Baltimore Comedy Factory outlet above the Burks Restaurant, which is now a Rofo. And I did something with Kirk, and they had me up, <clears throat> and I I somehow met Mickey maybe at the station, maybe at another show, and I got to MC for him and then feature for him, and we just worked well together and then they brought me into their morning show it's it's interesting stand up got me back into radio because i became a radio guest and as him and i started doing shows myself him joe robinson some others eric myers r.i.p that um he would just have us up as guests the way he'd have pete eibner up the way he'd have you know mike stork up the way he'd have uh, you know, Mark voice back in the day, he would just have me up and we just got along and he'd do some shows with me or he'd do some shows with Joe and he'd give us airtime and stuff like that to help promote the gig. So we'd crush it on air. And then later that night, the people that wanted to hear it, but unedited, could then come out to a club and see it there. And, you know, he was always trying to, you know, balance two things, three, you know, if you count family, but him, really leaning into doing a great radio show, but really trying to go for it uh, with comedy. Like you're not going to find somebody more business ambitious than him when he was really, really doing it. He was, he was a lot more ambitious than your average comedian from around here. Yeah. And they, him and Amelia started as the afternoon show and they got moved to mornings. Is that when you took over afternoons? When he moved to mornings? I did nights that the, the, the comedy radio thing kind of came to a head where uh, Joe Robinson left the night show with Theo and Joe called irresponsible radio. Theo did it for a while, but he liked doing a talk show music show format. So my old Dave Hill program director, um, he asked me about partnering up with Theo and doing a night show. And I had concerns cause I was still really gung ho comedy so and it's a night show it's kind of hard to go do open mics and do stuff like that at night and he said he'd work with me and if i needed nights whatever but i was also in the middle of trying to get montreal and i got montreal and i was able to go and do the montreal comedy festival it's a pretty big comedy festival and i did that and it's sort of like it's kind of like the combine for young comics i call it like if you go there you're gonna get noticed i was on the new faces 2010 with uh colin yost who i hear is currently having sex with Black Widow. So <laughs> talk about two careers that went in separate directions. And he um, he was cool with letting me do that stuff, and it actually really started to take off. So I had to do Montreal, where I got signed by an agency that wanted me to move to Los Angeles, and he gave me the night show with Theo. I did one show with Theo, and then he had something go on personally to where he needed to move back home to take care of some business. So it just became me at night. We called it the, the, the Justin Schlegel fiasco because the whole thing was a fiasco. So we called it the Justin Schlegel fiasco plus a little homage to one of my favorite uh, artists, Wesley Willis, Rocket Pitbull's ass, whoop Dracula's ass. And I then had to go to LA and I had to tell him, I was like, hey, I know you just gave me this night show. And I think I did it for a couple of months. But like, I have to go to Los Angeles. My management's like saying, hey, you need to go. 
we got stuff lined up for you. And he's like, let's figure out something. And I said, you tell me. So this goes all the way back to the beginning of our talk because we had remote equipment that had since become rather compact. It was a sure style microphone. It was a very small Behringer mixer and it was a Comrex unit. And a Comrex unit just plugs in a high-speed internet. It processes it there right in the unit and sends it back to the station. The station brings it up. And Dave Hill, who I'll forever be indebted to. I got a great PD now. Dave Hill also holds a pretty sweet spot in my heart. He let me do my night show live from Los Angeles in an apartment with remote equipment that they lent me for a year and a half. And because of the time zone difference, instead of being seven to midnight, out there, it was from uh, three till eight, and or is it or is it two to eight? Four hours difference, seven, so three. three. Yeah, three to eight, and I get to record the last two hours. So it technically would be three to six. I put the last two hours in the can, and I go right out into the open mic, so the showcases or whatever. So I would work during the day, and then at night. I got to go out and do all this stuff. And auditions are usually very early in the morning. So you go to audition for stuff at like 9, 10 o'clock. I'd have all morning to audition, all morning for table reads, go home, do a radio show at night, go out and perform. It was, it, I had the easiest path to walk of a lot of people that moved to Los Angeles because I was also getting a check. I was getting a check mailed to me once a week from 3800 Hooper Avenue in Baltimore. And it was pretty great. It was great. And he let me do that for about a year and a half. And they do need a local DJ. We talked about locality, being hyper, being local. And a guy on the other side of the country is not that. And also the night show guy, you can attest to this, you know, the morning show, your Mickey and Amelia's, your Elliot's, they're going to do the grand opening of a new arena. They're going to do this a level celebrities in town and they get first crack at them. The night show guy does the grand opening of a deli in a Red Lion PA out back of a methadone clinic whose general manager is literally a rooster. And that's the guy that they need to go do that stuff. They don't have the morning show do that. The afternoon show, not really. And middays rarely do like live broadcasts, maybe a weekend person. But the night show guy is the one that's like, all right, it's time for you to go to, you know, this oil change facility and we're gonna let people squirt you in the asshole with 10 w30 <laughs> whoever gets it right on the knot gets a t-shirt that's what you need that guy for so he needed that and that wasn't a guy that lived out in la so you know that went away and i got a, a regular day job morning job working a court reporting agency i used to do video conferencing teleconferencing so i did that there and um yeah, that was uh that was what was going on in la and that was my uh my to circle back around my relationship with mick well, you came back here for, yeah. what, a month or two before taking over the morning show? Uh, I was actually here for nine months. Nine months? I, was, was I, did, I, did, afternoons, I did afternoons when Stash left. I, I came back for that and, um, yeah, was doing um, afternoons, and then they decided to move on from the mornings. Mick wanted to go and take care. I think he was still deep, deep into trying to make comedy really, really happen. And Amelia didn't want to go anywhere, but I think she was kind of done with the shift because it is just a goddamn awful time to wake up. Speaks loves news. He wasn't going anywhere. And Reardon was as good on the air as he was behind the scenes. So they were like, hey, uh, be a be a morning show host. Well, and, yeah, because they they did you know when you came back here that that was in the works? 
No idea. No? None. Because I was, was going to be I, afternoons forever. I just moved here to Boston when all of that was going on. So I wasn't listening, wasn't knowing what was going on. I was getting text messages from friends when like, oh God, they got rid of Mickey. And you know, then, the, you know, the stunting and then you, Scott and Spiegel took over. Uh, how was that conversation? Because as someone who is friends with Mickey yeah. and him being dismissed, and we don't need to go into Mickey's life story or history about it, all of it. And is, that is just one misnomer I'll shake on. The, the, he and the station legitimately amicably parted ways. There was no like, you're fired. I mean, they let him say goodbye. They did a nice video. I think he, that shift burns people up. I've come close. So Scott, Josh is just such a beautiful mutant that he is impervious to damage that he will be there for four more shows. He'll be there when they chain that building shut and turn it into a goddamn bed, bath and beyond, which terrible reference. They're closing all those down. (laughs) It chews. It chews people up. It's hard to have a family. It's hard to do. I mean, you know, this working comedy late at night, which is where he was, you know, it, it. It can eat you up, which is why I don't do next to any standup. I don't consider myself a standup anymore because it's hard to do that to the level that Mick wanted to do it while also waking up at 3 a.m. So, yeah, but there was there was, for the record, an amicable parting between those guys. Oh, see that? That's yeah. You hear everything. And I'm I've been trying to get Mickey on this and him and I are back and forth and you see other things going on and you question what what's happening and how people are and stuff like that. But if it's, yeah, if it's not amicable, they don't let you do, they don't let you wind down to the end and then do a goodbye video that they feature on their website and their front page. It's, it's one of those things If you, you know, and you know this from working off the roundabout in Towson, half the people during those five format flips, I'd tell you when it went from pop to rock to urban to talk to sports, half the time that they would show up to work, their key cards wouldn't work. And that's how you found out. You oh. go downstairs and you tap the key card and you get this light buzzer. <laughs> huh? <laughs> oh, shit. And then I- someone would meet you downstairs with a bag of your crap. And that's the last time you're in that building. That's when it was not amicable. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. I have a, even I was when I was working at Channel 1043 as a jock and running the shows and stuff. They asked me to come back down to D.C. to fill in for the the guy who took my job as the censor of Elliot. So we're pumping Elliot up there. I used to run Elliot show in Baltimore. They asked me to come down. Somebody fills in for me in Baltimore. I'm filling in for the guy in D.C. on the dump button. And I'm listening to Elliot at 945 or something like that. Co. Hey, by the way, if you're listening to us in Baltimore, uh, you're not going to listen to us anymore. Uh, so the channel's going to, the station's going to change. Something's going to go on. You can still listen to us in Baltimore and DC one, one, you can listen online. But as for now, we're not in Baltimore anymore. And I'm sitting there on the dump button going, I'm sorry. What? Yeah. I'm down the hall from the announcement of my job is now getting taken away. And my station is flipping and nobody's talking. I'm emailing the PDs. I'm, I get in my car as soon as Elliot shows over. I drive <laughs> up there. I walk right in his office and go, what the fuck is going on? Why aren't you answering my calls? What's happening? They're like, Relax, we're flipping formats. You are keeping your job because we need somebody yeah. to still run the station, you know, to do all the on-air stuff. We're going to pass you up to Toby Knapp. He's doing all the mixing of the program music. Learn from him about how to do this. You have a job. What that job is, is we don't know, but you're the only one that yeah. we're keeping. They, they need some fingers on a board. They need hands on a phone. They need fingers on a keyboard. So that's like, like I said, when they would flip with us, they keep three of us to do eight hour shifts around the clock, seven days a week. And when personnel finally got settled in, you would get a day off and then two days off. And then they cut your hours down to 10. 
which was great. I went from working 65 hours down to nothing. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you know, there was a time, one of the format flips. I remember the format flip when they went from hip hop to rock for a moment at the, the, the CBS, Infinity, Entercom, whatever, Pepperidge Farm. That <laughs> I remember that we were playing carts still. We didn't have any automation. We were still using actual carts, eight tracks. And you would go in the morning and you would get the commercial log with all the red carts, which were spots, and you get the music log, blue carts, which were music. And you wouldn't pull, you know, uh, Joe to see, I want to taste your titties. You would pull <laughs> cart 78-424, and that would be the cart. And I remember going in there one morning, and the log looking weird. It looked like fresh. Sometimes they would just reuse old logs, like, ah, let's play the 10-day-ago log. It's been that long. No one will notice. Everyone noticed. <laughs> and I had a fresh printed-out log, and it's like, okay, pull track 68107, the very first song. And I pulled it out and popped it in the machine, and it's the overnight. I'm, I'm beyond tired. So it's after midnight, and I hit the button for what I assume is going to be either Genuine or a Belle Biv DeVoe throwback, and I hear Welcome to the Jungle. And my eyes get wide, and I'm, and I'm listening for a second, and I have the next card in, which is the sweeper element. You're listening to X1057 Blazing Jams. All night, all right, all tight. Here's Jodeci. <laughs> And then the next track would be Jodeci. I hit the element. The very next one, there was um, nothing. You had to fire all the elements manually. The only things that played from one to the other were the commercials. They had a trip tone at the end of each one. Yeah. But you had to fire off every single epic. Man, you want to talk about not being able to take a shit? If you heard, if you heard Drew Hill, I can't remember the name of the song, but Drew Hill had a six minute and 50 second long song. If you ever heard that song play multiple times on the overnights, it's because I had diarrhea. (laughs) I had to play that song just to give me enough time to wind sprint up the hall, back one out and run back before I had to hit the next element. So welcome to the jungles playing. I'm wide-eyed, I'm awake, I hit the next button, and you hear, you're listening to Baltimore's Rock, what if I said, uh, like, oh, oh, what the hell, I hit the next song, Soundgarden, and I'm looking, and I see all the labels are fresh, and I do the same thing, I email my APD at the time, this guy Tim, and I'm going, all the songs are rock, and I'm hearing 105.7 The X, What's going on? He goes, yeah, we're rock now. I'll see you in an hour. I'm coming in. <laughs> and, uh, you didn't want to give the guy that's got to fire all this stuff off a little heads up because I've already jumped out of a song. I've already, the, the log is already boned because I had a panic attack because no one told me that it's not hip hop anymore. I'm like, well, what about DJB? What about the turntablist? What about Mocha? What about Oh, Say the Dark Secret? What about Frank Ski? What about Quicksilver? What about all my friends that I've made there? By the way, the hip hop station, the greatest people I ever worked with at that place. The only people I ever felt like appreciated and valued by. I still talk to DJ Spice. Shane and I are still friends. I still consider DJ B a, a mentor of mine. Oh, say the dark secret is still a, a king. Quicksilver runs Baltimore hip hop radio and the club scene. Those guys were the best. And I finally felt like those, that was the group. I felt like I made the most headway with and they blew them out. And that, that was the one that really gutted me. That was the one where I was like, Jesus, this is just going to keep happening. 
That was the most talented group you had in this building. Sorry they made the oldie station staff across the hall a little nervous. <laughs> Sorry the, the, the folks at 1019 Light FM. Let's get a little lost in love. That got a little freaked out because a guy came in with a whole crate full of records and was live spinning and scratching on the air with five of his boys having a party. Bring in food. Awesome. The X-1057 years, besides my time at 98 Rock, the best year in radio I ever had. And when they blew them out, and they did that key card shit. I'm like, son of a bitch. And my guy got a text later from Spice being like, key card doesn't work. I'm like, I know. Yeah, I worked with Spice at, at 104.3. Could not be a better guy. Great. When I worked dude. at Hot 99.5. Like, I didn't get along with everyone at Hot 99.5, but the people I got along with got along like gangbusters. Me mm-hmm. and DJ Chris Styles worked hip to hip doing a live mix radio show in a nightclub for seven years. Incredible. And it. Him and I are, are, are blood brothers. Like, yeah, we're, we're never not going to be, you know, friends forever. You know, that's just, good to hear. Those the, relationships you make and you maintain. Like Spice and I, we get together like once a month. As a matter of fact, we're going to get together. Davis is soon enough and we shoot the breeze and catch up about old times and occasionally Priestley. I'll bump into Priestley was the other. Priestley was the other. Priestley was the one guy that would take a young broadcaster hopeful and and guide you instead of stomp you out instead of looking at you as the next great threat that would actually help you because you never know you know it's the whole way up the way down you never know who you're going to see type thing and if you're talented you'll stick around if you're not stamping out whoever's on the bench or whoever's waiting in the wings you've only got two feet there's hundreds of them you will get overwhelmed just focus on how you do and you'll be fine it's the others that were like, I got to keep this young guy or young girl down or whoever was crappy to you. You know, a lot of those you look back and go, where are you at now? Hmm? You, you shoving someone's head underwater until their legs stopped moving. Didn't keep <laughs> you in the business, did it? So. So you're now just celebrating your 10 year anniversary yeah. of doing the morning show, which, by the way, when I heard you were having a 10 year, the station was give you a 10 year anniversary. I was like. You've been working for the station longer than 10 years. I have. This JSS is 10 years, but I've been working there officially as a full-time employee for like 13. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So the 10 years, ups and downs, different management, pandemic. Pandemic was the bad one. Uh, Luckily, management-wise, we've only had two big shifts in management. And again, just 98 Rocks, same format, same owners, 40-plus years. They do it right. you got to really really try to get fired from that place. It's both a good and bad thing that there's been some people <coughs> that have walked the halls. Yeah, you're like, God damn, they still work here. But the station is like, we're going to let you, we're going to let you screw this up. <coughs> we're not going to blow you out. It's where I know you've worked at stations where like you guys went from first to a strong second, change the format. Like, wait, what? We're still top five. You know, there's, there were times where, we drop down to eighth and they're like, all right, what do we do? How do I fix it? What's going on? Let's talk. Not like, oh God, hit the panic button. But we, we had um, a general manager by the name of Ed Kiernan. He left. And then uh, we had Kerry Behegan for a long time. He took over another radio station, a digital station outside of the market like a year or two ago. But he was there for eight years. And now we have Dan Jarris. He's our general manager. He actually runs TV. And now he has the whole building. And I went from Dave Hill is my program director to Rick Strauss. And Rick Strauss was the original 98 Rock program director before Dave Hill. He basically just came and just took his job back because, you know, when people leave Hearst and 98 and BAL, they're like, God damn, 
grass ain't always greener. Let's instead of grass is greener, let's water the grass we're on. So the guy that literally built KML, you know, a legendary radio show there is now back and runs JSS. So it's been luckily very minimal management changing. There's always staff and personnel changes, but for the most part, we've had the same leaders for a long time, which is good. You know, if you just keep, it's like a football team that keeps getting a new coach. It's just, you have to keep starting over. You have to keep figuring out the new playbook, a new scheme, a new coaching style. We luckily, I don't have to deal with that. We, we keep people for a long time and yeah, you know, ups and downs. There's nothing that I would say that would shock you about stuff that worked and stuff that didn't. But I think compared to other shows, uh, not just 98 Rock, in general, other radio shows anywhere, any shift, that sometimes the talent thinks they're bigger than the station. This station won't survive without me. If I take my talents elsewhere, I'm taking my talents to South Beach. That No one's LeBron in this. No one. The Cavaliers will always exist. The heat will always exist. Teams are bigger than the players, and we get that. I think we're one of the radio shows compared to others that understands they fire us on Monday. 98 Rock is fine. They'll find somebody new. They'll foster them. They'll fill it. They'll train them. They'll be around for a long time. May that not happen, but I think all of us realize it's about the brand and not us because if the brand is strong, we're strong. So... And they sign you to nice agreements too. You know, a lot of places get a one-year deal. They sign us for much longer deals than that, which is nice. So you feel comfortable. And there's not, they don't put sneaky backdoor language in the contracts. You know, there's a lot of like odd, vaguely worded morality clauses. If they don't like a tweet of yours, you're fired. If they don't like an appearance that you did somewhere where you had a, Dicey exchange with a listener, you're fired. Someone heard that you got on stage and said something during a comedy act, you're fired. They're not, they don't do any of that kind of stuff. The, the, the contracts are like a page long. It's, they're clean. They're easily read. You don't need a lawyer to skim through it. Well, I know, and you know, how, how much of this is theater, you know, theater of the radio, and how much is, is this true? And I'm not the salacious guy trying to get gotcha moments, but I know you struggled a little bit with the station with your comedy being able to talk about and mention your shows. Yeah. which is common across the board. You have a venture interest in something outside of the air. You want to talk about it. Some people at the people's sta- stations like, oh, you can't do it because that's technically advertising. Some people realize what's good for you is good for us. Goose and Gander, we can do this together. Yeah. You know, and you back and forth, from what I understand, had issues back and forth with the station where you couldn't mention your comedy shows. And I know for a while that hurt you a little bit emotionally when you were doing these shows. You're the number one rock morning show station in the city. And then you're doing, you know, Jimmy's chicken shack, uh, you know, over on the, the beach of Delmarva to 12 people. Yeah. It's uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's something you have to try and find that balance in. And they are right. They're like, listen, if we have, let's say Magoobies buys advertising and Magoobies is a client and we do work with Magoobies and they pay, and I'm, I'm making up numbers here. I don't know what this stuff costs, but they buy 10 commercials for $10,000. And they get it on there and they get their 10 spots and it has the effectiveness we hope it has. Then I'm doing my own private gig and I'm mentioning it 20 times, 30 times. I'm probably not paying a dime for it. Station isn't getting anything for it. So I'm taking their airspace to promote my stuff, but the station doesn't get a cut and a client that's paying to have their voice heard maybe might be getting overshadowed to where it's frustrating for me, but they are in the right. And I think maybe former managers back in the day were a little bit more lax with it that, you know, it's what, like you said, goose and gander, what's good for this. Me, the individual is good for the station. 
Yes, but it is a double-edged sword to where there are clients that they have a contract in place and that could very well just go to a sales manager and be like, why am I paying for this when this guy is advertising, quote unquote, his own product, which is dead similar to ours, and he's mentioning it three times as much. That's not right. It's not, it's not worth it for me. I'm going to pull my money. And I'll go somewhere and broadcast on WPOC or advertise on WERQ or Mix, where no one on there is promoting their own comedy shows. And I don't have to share that message in airtime with them. So frustrating, yes, but they are in the right. And I, I had to learn that. And, you know, it's yes, I, I, would, I would love to be able to maybe do some future partnership. We actually have partnered up with my own private, you know, podcasting network with Rob and Joe, uh, the DLP agenda with the station. We actually now do co-branded events where we had our very first one, Seinfeld Trivia, sold out Magoobies, which was a 98 Rock DLP production. Uh, productions. I have the, the DLP agenda podcast that we folded them into it because we buy advertising now. My, my podcast, the DLP agenda, buys ad space on 98 Rock. So we have money on the books to keep the relationship proper and above board. So it's just a new way of doing stuff. And it's a proper way of doing stuff. So you can now see a money trail and I get to promote because there's cash. Well, that's the interesting thing is even before you move to with Rob and Joe, you know, mm -hmm. I've been listening to them because I'm friends with them. Rob's been on yeah. the podcast. You know, I, I recorded Joe's first and only comedy album. Like I'm friends with them just as much as I am friends with you. Like we all kind of same circles. circles of stuff. And I was happy to hear it, but I was thinking for the longest time, why does Justin not have a podcast? He works in radio. He's an amazing talent. Why hasn't he gotten that podcast? Is there a reason what held you off from moving into the podcasting world? And I'm pretty sure you had other ones that are smaller here and there before yeah. that, but mm -hmm. what it's was funny. I actually have a podcast that has survived me being not on it. I have a podcast that's existed for 13 years that is called the rough house podcast. It's a pro wrestling podcast. That was myself and Andy Peters. And then myself and Chris Likealot, former producer, Air Talent on 98 Rock. And then I left, and now it's Marty Day from Super Art Fight and Chris Likealot. So this thing I started in Los Angeles in 2010 still draws breath and does a pretty decent job. Mm -hmm. It just, it's complete. It's like, the, it's like Menudo. Everyone got blown out, but Menudo still exists. Find us five fresh Spanish boys. <laughs> and Chris and Marty are the fresh Spanish boys. As far as my own, I think it's because I know how much bandwidth I have as far as my efforts and I know that 98 Rock pays for 99.9% .9 of my existence my family is my mortgage my food my everything so they deserve to have that much of my efforts so that's why for the longest time I didn't and then Rob and Joe approached me about a year ago because they were they, they thought they were kind of spinning their wheels a little bit they hadn't grown and we all work together on air so much and we work together with our murder mysteries so much die laughing productions that they say would you like to come on and i i did i did think about it for a bit and i talked to the station about it and i'm like that's fine um you know just don't have it affect your work here and you're not talking about it on the air until we bought an ad buy and now you'll hear ads for the dlp agenda because we are advertisers so i just i needed to wait to find one that made sense and I don't have your ability to create one and put it online and advertise and promote. I just, I don't, I don't have the energy for it. Father of three murder mysteries, radio show. JSS gets the vast majority of my efforts as it deserves to. 
But this one, because there was already infrastructure in place and Robin Joe built up a nice brand that I just sort of added to it. So I'm, I sort of barnacled onto their asses and we changed it from Robin Joe to DLP. So that's, that's why it needed, it needed to make sense. And working with two dear friends did. Yeah. And I don't fault anybody for not being able to go through the efforts of, of making all this, like just, it's an undertake. A good one, a, a good one it's like so yours work, yeah. is an undertaking. I mean, if you are listening to this and can't see it, I'm looking at a professional radio studio that you're broadcasting from. I'm seeing microphones and condensers and mixers, and I'm seeing wind shears, and I'm seeing proper headphones. I'm not seeing two guys on an Uber mic in a living room i'm not seeing a guy who's like holy shit that conversation we had at the bar was hilarious we should do a podcast let's record it on our iphone it sounds like you're talking through a goddamn radio shack walkie talkie a good podcast is treated like a radio show good radio broadcasters make great podcasters mark Marin, mike o'mara chad dukes people that all went from incredible radio talents that took the to podcasting and wouldn't you know it found as much success, if not more, in some cases. Mark Marin had one of the first big comedy podcasts, WTF. He was also on radio. Joe Rogan had radio experience. So you take it and treat it like a professional broadcast, but without the confines where you can drive in a much wider lane, sort of be your own boss, but you also have to promote yourself and you have to be your own advertising machine. You don't have a company behind you. Mm -hmm. That's where a lot of the work comes in. So... Yeah, but to do a podcast well, to your degree, you have to do what you do. And I just knew I couldn't do it. Yeah. I just had to have it's the two people that were already doing it, Rob and Joe. Like the social media thing, too, of it, just like that advertising alone, mm-hmm. you know, because you don't want to just be always advertising your podcast. You want to create, a, you have to put out other, going back to our beginning conversation, other content in yeah. between. Hey, listen to my podcast. And it's, it's daunting. You want to it's say gotta be good. well. It's got to be well done. It, it's got to be quality and quantity. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that can machine gun you with ten emails that are excuse me ten posts today, ten tweets, fifteen Instagrams, countless stories. Is any of it good? Right. Like if you go to a diner menu and you open up that diner menu and it looks like a goddamn phone book. There's five hundred items. How many are good? But then you go to a very nice restaurant and they have six things, but they're all exquisite. That's the one you remember. I'm not going to remember the runny eggs and the turkey bacon and the coffee that the lady kept fucking up as she ashed her Winston out into it. I'm going to remember <laughs> going over to a Smith and Walensky and having a steak that I had to put a down payment on. And I might still be paying off. It was so expensive, but it was <laughs> so good. It's you have to not just like you said, you have to not just advertise it. Often you have to do it well because the social media space is so crowded. It's and so also- clogged up. How do you break out? It's not even also the content. You got to deal with the algorithm right Mm -hmm. now. I literally just put out a TikTok clip of an interview with me and Jim Jeffries, biggest Mm. comedian in the goddamn world right now. 47 views on TikTok. That strikes me as odd. Yeah. I literally, the the network is refreshing my, my interview with Lewis Black. 
One of them gets 20 views. The next one gets 12,000 views. There's no rhyme or reason. And when yeah. you have an obsessive compulsive disorder that is not fixed by medication like I do, you hypervigilantly focus on it. This morning before our interview, one of the reasons why I didn't get things tested before we got in is because I went into a, started into a downward spiral this morning of looking up Boston Duck Tour reviews on TikTok to see if any of the people who have been on my tours for the past two months have tweeted anything about me or TikTok anything about me. And that is a very murky ground to start going into yeah. when you have an OCD disorder, you know, shadow banning and all that. And a lot of this, this stuff is new to me. Just people that are like, I put up a post. No one's seen it. How did my last one get 50,000? This one got 50. I promoted it. I even paid the money to have it bumped up. That is, that is a world I know nothing of. And if the, the gods of broadcasting continue to shine on me, may I never need to maybe, Maybe one day, maybe again, that's more a Rob and Joe talent or Joe's brother, Robbie, who's great with that. But that stuff, the algorithm and how it gets shown. I mean, you're on Instagram. That's how we communicate. You look at your feed sometime and go, why am I getting inline skate fails? How is this possible? Am I I'm getting I'm getting Brie Larson showing me different ways to use cauliflower at my barbecue. I didn't look up any of this. How is this what it's giving me? I, I I don't understand because it would just be nothing but like lucha libre, Vietnamese butts, and guys doing kickflips down three sets of steps at Smallwood Village Shopping Center. It's all it'd be if it listened to what I am interested in and would like to see. But now the algorithm's like, nah, homie, you're gonna see kids in wheelchairs getting attacked by bees. I'm like, all, all right, I guess that's what I get to see today. Maybe my friend Dead Air did a great interview with Jim Jeffries. I might be interested. I'm a big fan of Jim Jeffries. I like to see what my pal Dennis is doing, but they're like, nah, man, you're going to see one of the cast members of my 600-pound life getting stuck in an elevator, and here's where the door shuts and cuts him in half. Didn't want to see it. <laughs> Didn't want to see that. Want to see what my friends are doing. But the algorithm, man, what can yeah, you do? And like, what, what works, what, why some people... Are given the opportunity to to get the views. I don't understand why it happens. I watch videos and I just not even just the view count. When you look at the likes, people physically hit a like button for these things, and I watch it. I'm like, why did you like this? I don't. Yeah. It, like, it's there, a mystery, is there satisfying? Man. Yeah. And I and I have to not drive myself crazy with, but that is the world that I have had to be a part of because I don't, you know, yeah. like me and the network are working on those things, and luckily the network promotes things. And I don't have to see what good or bad numbers their their promotion is getting. I just focus on the good and bad of my own, and then go into my yeah. downward little spirals. But same, I will today. <laughs> so, all right. So, is that the the plan for you? Like, is now we've moved away from you know we we've talked about radio. You're still in it. Yeah. That is going to be a career for a while. You're now doing podcasting. You know, you're looking to the future of what this is going to be. You help them, uh, Rob and Joe, take their podcasts. And figure out how they can make it more financially viable. You've helped create, you know, more content for the uh, Patreon. You've done many different ways of getting people inspired to be part of the Patreon. Like the reason I joined the Patreon is I had, I drove, I did an overnight drive from Boston to Maine, and then Maine to New York, to New York, and then New York to Boston, Boston to West Massachusetts, and then back to Boston. And I needed something to listen to, so I. Paid the five bucks for the Robin Joe Patreon. I put it on, started the beginning, went overnight, drove through. I went up to a comedy show in Maine, drove overnight to New York City to do an episode of Happy with Chris Maloney. 
And then I drove back home, took a quick nap, did a show in Worcester and back. And I listened to the Robin Joe awesome. Patreon through all of that to try and keep me awake. And I was like, I'm oh, one of my friends. I want to hear what's going on anyway. I want the dirt. Dude, the reason why I applied to jobs at 98 Rock and got to be able to talk to Rick and all those guys and yeah. like having a real conversation about an interview was because you and Joe would go on. All right, we can't talk about this on the regular show, but so-and-so is leaving and this yeah. job's going to be open. I was like, oh, well, let me start sending some emails and resumes again. That's on the Patreon. Okay. Patreon.com slash the Robin Joe show DLP agenda. Hop on there. Five <laughs> bucks gets you all kinds of shit. Now it was, it was the guys did that show for 10 years and they did do both of them have radio experience. So they did a great radio oh, wonderful job show. with it. A wonderful job. Intros, outros, elements. It wasn't just one big, long glob of two guys and an iPhone. They, they treated it with respect and Joe built a very nice studio. Uh, but yeah, they would, they wanted something else. And I said, uh, you got to give them a value proposition for the, uh, Patreon. So five bucks gets you this 10 bucks gets you that 50 bucks was the big one. We did a house party. I'll tell you another one. We've teased. You probably know about this. There's going to be a live podcast taping that anybody could come to, but $50 members. This is like a golden tier member. You're going to get in 20 minutes early and you're going to hear a voicemail that Joe has held on his phone for about a year from his father's retirement community <laughs> about something that they saw that Joe needed to drop what he was doing and speed the fuck over to the retirement community to handle it. And I'm going to tell you what, it took a shamwell. That's all I'll say. So you get to hear that early it won't be recorded, and hopefully we wet some people's whistles and go, okay. I mean, if we get 10 people in that room, and it's sitting around and chewing the fat. But, yeah, just to add, to give people value, because we know five bucks, while it sounds like nothing, five bucks could be the difference between eating and not eating to some. So we have to make it valuable, and we have to still give you free content if you decide that, you know what, hey, it's a bridge too far for me right now. Times are tight. That's fine. Thank you. Just tell people. So we do the uh, once a week show on Tuesday and we give free Patreon episodes every now and then, like, you know, an introductory offer. Here's Laughs Count Anywhere, the wrestling show. Here's Dork Dynasty, the video game show. Here's Storytime with Tommy Simbazo when he tells his terrifying tales. <laughs> uh, we'll give you a free one every now and then and be like, hey, if you want more of this, you know, you know what to do. So it's um, it's great. I'm just going to keep doing. Really, I feel like I'm in the last chapter of my career right now because I hope I get to work at 98 Rock for another 20 years and I'll do this DLP thing on the side for fun but again 98 Rock gets 99.10 9s in a row my efforts because they're the ones that got me to any any level of prominence whatsoever between comedy podcasting voice talent anything it all leads back to 98 so they, and, they deserve everything and to circle back to that you know with the business of radio people don't realize this morning radio morning tv those th things it takes it, it's it's a it, it takes so much effort to create con like you're, you're one on air five hours a day which doesn't yeah. sound like a lot till you go five hours a week that's 25 hours a week 25 hours of constant paying attention constantly being on right now i'm doing five 80 to 90 minute tours of boston on a script that i've already written yeah it's a matter of just bouncing around and doing a little bit of crowd work you know and most of the crowd work we both know crowd work yeah. is a lot of the same jokes 
just being recycled. It's new to them. It's yep. new to them. Exactly. Uh, you know, saying to the kids, oh, here, kids, have you ever driven a boat before? Oh, no, it's very easy. Just aim for the water parts. Huge laugh. Yeah. You know, Big it's laugh. Like, there you go. Yeah, sounds yeah, like yeah. it happened in the moment. Every time a parent hands me their phone to take a picture of the kid, I'm like, oh, hold on. You're getting a text message. When you're done with those losers, meet me at the motel. Oh, you know what? I shouldn't have finished reading this. Walk out, walk out, walk out. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, again, but you're getting to pop. Like, oh, my God, that Dennis guy, what a great tour. Excellent. But you got to have a, you have some fun stock. I have stock lines. My God. Mm-hmm. I have, when I do crowd work for crowds, I have those. But, man, radio is a different beast because it's a lot of the same crowd. You hope you get new people. You lose, you gain. But you can't, you could have stock segments that people come to expect, you know, Monday morning confessions, bitch, a bitch Wednesdays, hypothetical Thursdays, things like that benchmarks. But as far as like repeating jokes, which I will, I do, I will again, it's, it's kind of hard with radio. You got to come up with five hours of original content every day, five days a week and on the spot, no prep. A little prep, not a lot little of prep. We, we always have a roadmap you know this well, the clock you talked about yeah. earlier sticking to a clock you have a clock, have a clock but you don't have you don't have the ability to workshop jokes like that's not why really. we go to open mics yeah. we go to open mics to make these jokes the best we talk to our friends we figure out what's gonna work what doesn't we test them out no you're talking Josh is reading a news story and you gotta on that moment be like oh here's something funny about this tragic bag of kittens yeah. that fell in the river Exactly. You have to, you have to, it's live fire. You have to, I mean, we'll, we'll come up with talk topics at a time outside of news, outside of sports, but inside of sports, inside of news where we're sort of reacting. That's why Josh Beagle, seven murrows news and comment. I it's news and comment. He lets us comment and we don't know ahead of time. He sends us some links in the morning for us to kind of quickly peruse, but his, his delivery is so genius that the story he will read other people have heard about from other sources, but you won't get it the way Speaks gives it. So we're not just reacting to the story about the kittens that got thrown in the water. We're reacting to his delivery of it. And it's unique as hell. And it's, um, it's a, it's a fun, it's a fun palette to color with cause of him. So, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's work. Radio's work. Yeah. And it's, it is a lot. I mean, you know, you can't even keep track of the things because you, you can't, Follow up and see how it did. You can't bring back. It's churn and burn, churn and burn, churn and burn with that. You know, and I did that for years myself and it is such a grind. And you know, I always kept saying when I was working at iHeart, if I ever lose this job, I'm going to start my own live streaming. You know, that's why I have this studio. I'm going to start my own live streaming morning show. I'm going to do my own show. And then when I got lost my job, (laughs) did not come down here to start a live streaming show because I was like, oh, the content all by myself having to work through that is too much. And I know the the value of it, you know, like I started a second podcast slash YouTube show, you know, when I was uh, coming out of the pandemic to make money. It was a get rich quick scheme if it would work on a YouTube show, you know, and it didn't work. (laughs) I did five episodes a week for six weeks. (sighs) Yeah. Dude, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. And it's got to be defeating. I know the quality was good, but if it just doesn't latch on at a distance, remote recording, video editing, audio editing, word of the day with comedians. If you're first, if you're new to this podcast, so what do you really do? I have a second one called word of the day. I haven't updated in months because I haven't had time to sit down for eight hours and edit a video. But that, you know, is a lot of work. Everything is so much work and the people don't realize that like you guys, uh, what was the show with Chris Hardwick uh, at midnight? Yeah. Yeah. They, everyone's oh my God, how do these comedians come up with these in the moment? And you've done those comedy shows mm-hmm. where it's a theme of something and they expect you just to be funny in the moment. And it's like, no, all of that, that they said are written down jokes. 
They may be doing it in a game show format, but it is all planned. Doc, I'll give you I'll give you a great example of exactly what you're talking about. The Comedy Central roasts are entirely scripted. Oh, yeah. And every roastee knows what the person is going to say. I helped write on two of them. And I remember having a, uh, a couple of jokes that I never got a joke onto the air, but I had a couple of jokes get resubmitted. That means they're interested. Can you change this wording? Can you change this reference? You can't make a, um, a Roots Chris reference. They're an advertiser. Okay, I'll change it to something else. Longhorn Steakhouse. And it... But, and they have to submit it to the talent so the talent can read it and go, okay, we can do that. All that stuff. I mean, again, they're genius level jokes, but don't for a second think that a lot of that stuff isn't been deeply screened, deeply screened. Radio is different. Radio is live fire. Radio is, it is, it is, it, what's the, the adage ask for forgiveness, not permission. We're a forgiveness industry. And sometimes that forgiveness is not given. And you got to really watch what you say, because a lot of those, you know, those jokes that get on there, the, the executives will approve them on Comedy Central and wherever else. But then afterwards, the public might be like, I can't they believe they said that. And management's like, oh, yeah, we can't believe you said that either. <laughs> oh, man. Meanwhile, there's a script on your goddamn ivory desk. You've been reading that thing for weeks. You're the one that approved the Gilbert Godfrey 9-11 joke that lost him his Aflac endorsement. You read that. You were like, yes, hell yeah, 9-11. Let's never forget. You're the one that approved that. So don't for a second be like, oh, we're here at Comedy Central. Expect our talent to be held to a higher standard. Okay, really? Yeah. We're the ones in radio and sometimes podcasting too because podcasting can be very live fire. You're submitting nothing ahead of time from a podcast to your, you know, your overlords and management and networks they then they probably hear it for the first time when it is live and go god damn dennis not sure if you needed to bring up apartheid during that jim jeffries interview but here we are let's talk uh yeah and it's interesting you're talking about those 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 six weeks five days that it was good and you crafted it and for whatever reason it didn't take off just to circle back real quick before we, we, we bow out, and I heard something break upstairs about 10 minutes ago. I hope it was valuable. That that was my um, comedy career in Los Angeles, was that it wasn't so much a... Um, it, it, I did want to come back because I wanted to work at 98 and an afternoon drive was great, but I was out there doing what you did with those shows. Every day, open mics, every day, auditions, and it just didn't work. They People weren't buying what I was selling, and it wasn't because they're idiots and don't get my genius. And it wasn't because, oh, I'm just a, a clueless cross-eyed gump from the swamps of Waldorf. It just, they, they were all full up on the shelves of what I was selling. Really. It was, Rory was so incredibly unique and Aparna was so incredibly unique and Jermaine Fowler. And you've seen some people like your Nick Mullen, you know, Nick Mullen from formerly come town and now the Adam Friedland show. He was out there spinning his wheels as genius as he is now. And LA was like, nah, not interested. Then fast forward, you know, eight, nine years later, and he's got a podcast that's bringing in 130 grand a month on Patreon and is building television studios and is now having this new venture. And Stavro, same thing, Stavi baby from Baltimore. He's selling out theaters. Certain comedy scenes are like, eh, nah, not buying what you're selling. I'm like, all right. And they either find another route, which those guys did and are now millionaires, or you find another route like I did, which is like, hey, I got this radio opportunity. I want to do it, and I'm in love with it now, and I don't miss stand-up. You do look back and go, ah, I wonder if I'd have stuck around for a year or two. I wonder if I'd have you know, just powered through if my time would have come. 
man, I have some friends out there that it never did. And now they're in their forties and nothing panned out and they've walked the path too far to turn around. But the path ahead is as rocky as the one behind it. And you go, God damn, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? You're going to work HVAC. You're going to, you're going to become an HVAC apprentice at 50. Or are you going to be that? We used to call them ghosts. Those guys that would haunt the road that have been doing the same act since 85 that they never rose above a sea level room and Lancaster PA, but it's too late to turn around because it's all they know. And they just haunt the road. That was a scary existence for me. I, I didn't have, I didn't have the stones to wait to see what had happened. I, I couldn't gamble like that. I just didn't have it. So it's, but it's frustrating. Like you said, I thought the work that I was doing was good and the comedy was good. And my auditions I practiced for and tried much in the same way. You work for those weeks and weeks and weeks on that product. And when you put it out, they're like, yes, what a great product. Why is no one consuming it? Damn it. And the market's just like, not what we're interested right now. Thanks. Anyways, thanks for coming. And you have to just, Take that and swallow it and move on or let it eat you up and wander into the woods with a scythe, hoping to come upon some unsuspecting hiker. Whereas they reach down to pluck that fresh strawberry that they'd noticed growing wild saying, Ooh, I wonder if this is edible or not. Let me check my book. And as they flip to page 55, this is a Northern Maryland Mongolian strawberry, smaller than a regular one, but still is edible. They feel the cold steel of Dennis's blade unsuspectedly <laughs> massaging their windpipe as they look down at the ground. And not only is the strawberry red, so is the grass, the foliage, the fields, and the shoes beneath. As Dennis leans in and says, you should have listened to my podcast. <laughs> I think that's the perfect way to wrap this up with knowing what we what you want like that is the scary road ahead of us you know i look at uh yeah. you know former you know the song um raised on the radio from uh yes. yes the ravens the band the ravens rob fahey i think he's one of those like i don't want to insult rob i've met him a bunch of times swell guy and he's happy what he's doing but i look at him and i see you know my apologies for the words but washed up singer who's just playing open mics at bars in dundalk and i'm like that's not what i want I want to still be relevant. I still want to be able to fight, you know, but I see that as my future, the music version of my future, where he's just like playing REM cover tunes at, at open mics. And I'm like, that is sad. And if he's happy with that, that's great. I don't want that. I want to keep pushing and, and, and working and, and going for good things. And I want to see all my other talented friends having the same level of success. So I think sometimes I vicariously feel bad when I see somebody not trudging through the way that I still am, but because You've made your decision and what you're doing is making you happy. And that's all that matters yeah. is if you're happy, then it doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. You do what you do. That makes never you never been happier. And that's great. And I yeah. love to hear that. So I'm so glad we got to have this talk. I'm glad we got to catch. I appreciate you asking oh, me, man. Of course, a thousand percent all the time. If I, if I had things that I could put you on, I would put you on a hundred percent of them. A hundred percent of the time, man. I might be begging you for you to do that one day when I accidentally do something on the air where I spread my butt cheeks towards the live wire camera and say, who wants to ring the devil's doorbell? And I'm like, well, guess Dennis is my supervisor now. <laughs> All right. And everyone listen, please check out Justin. You can find him on, on Instagram as Justin98Rock. And of course, DLP Agenda. 98online.com. 98online.com too. Download the 98Rock mobile app. Listen to us around the you world. You can listen. I listen every morning. I wake up. It's the first thing I put on my phone. And I sit there and I listen in the mornings before I get my day started. All right, Dennis. I appreciate it, bud. I'm going to go um, blow my hand off with an M80. All right. Have a good one. I'll listen to you live tomorrow morning from the hospital bed. Good night. <laughs> Later, buddy. <laughs> Better